Balak, not reckoned among the nations. The year is 1933. Two Jews are sitting in a Viennese coffee house reading the news. One is reading the local Jewish paper, the other the notoriously anti-Semitic publication Der Stormer. How can you possibly read that revolting rubbish, says the first. The second smiles. What does your paper say? Let me tell you. The Jews are assimilating, the Jews are arguing, the Jews are disappearing. Now let me tell you what my paper says. The Jews control the banks, the Jews control the media, the Jews control Austria, the Jews control the world. My friend, if you want the good news about the Jews, always read The Anti-Semites. An old and bitter joke. Yet it has a point in a history and it begins with this week's parasha. Some of the most beautiful things ever said about the Jewish people were said by Bilam. Who can count the dust of Jacob? May my final end be like theirs. How beautiful are your tents, Jacob. Your dwelling place is Israel. A star will come out of Jacob. A scepter will rise out of Israel. Bilam was no friend of the Jews. Having failed to curse them, he eventually devised a plan that worked. He suggested that Moabite women seduce Israelite men and then invite them to take part in their idolatrous worship. 24,000 people died in the subsequent plague that struck the people. Bilam is numbered by the rabbis as one of only four non-royals mentioned in the Tanakh who are denied a share in the world to come. Why then did God choose that Israel be blessed by Bilam? Surely there is a principle of Megalgalim Zechut al Zakai, good things come about through good people. Why did this good thing come about through a bad man? The answer lies in the principle stated in Proverbs, let someone else praise you, not your own mouth, an outsider, and not your own lips. Tanakh is perhaps the least self-congratulatory national literature in history. Jews chose to record for history their faults, not their virtues. Hence it was important that their praise come from an outsider and one not known to like them. Moses rebuked the people, Bilam the outsider praised them. That said, however, what is the meaning of one of the most famous descriptions ever given of the people Israel? Hein am levadad yishkon, uvagoyim lo yitchashav. It is a nation dwelling alone, not reckoned among the nations. I've argued in my book Future Tense against the interpretation that's become popular in modern times, namely that it's Israel's destiny to be isolated, friendless, hated, abandoned and alone, as if anti-Semitism were somehow written into the script of history. It isn't. None of the prophets said so. To the contrary, they believed that the nations of the world would eventually recognize Israel's God and come to worship him in the temple in Jerusalem. Zechariah foresaw a day when ten people from all languages and nations will take firm hold of one Jew by the hem of his robe and say, let us go with you because we have heard that God is with you. There's nothing fated or predestined about anti-Semitism. What then do Bilom's words mean? It's a nation dwelling alone, not reckoned among the nations. Ibn Ezra says that they mean that unlike all other nations, Jews, even when a minority in a non-Jewish culture, will not assimilate. Ramban says that their culture and creed will remain pure, not a cosmopolitan mix of multiple traditions and nationalities. The Natsiv gives the sharp interpretation clearly directed against the Jews of his time that if Jews live distinctive and apart from others, 
then they will dwell safely. But if they seek to emulate the nations, they will not be reckoned as anything special at all. There is, however, another possibility, hinted at by another noted anti-Semite, G.K. Chesterton, who we've already mentioned in Balotacha. Chesterton famously wrote of America that it is a nation with the soul of a church and the only nation in the world founded on a creed. That is, in fact, precisely what made Israel different. And America's political culture, as historian Perry Miller and sociologist Robert Bella pointed out, is deeply rooted in the idea of biblical Israel and the concept of covenant. Ancient Israel was indeed founded on a creed and was, as a result, a nation with the soul of a religion. We discussed in Balotacha how Rabbi Soloveitchik broke down the two ways in which people become a group, be it a camp or a congregation. Camps face a common enemy, so a group of people bands together. If you look at all other nations, ancient and modern, you'll see they arose out of historical contingencies. A group of people live in a land, develop a shared culture, form a society and thus become a nation. Jews, certainly from the Babylonian exile onward, had none of the conventional attributes of a nation. They didn't live in the same land. Some lived in Israel, others in Babylon, yet others in Egypt. Later, they would be scattered throughout the world. They didn't share a language of everyday speech. There were many Jewish vernaculars, versions of Yiddish, Ladino, and other regional Jewish dialects. They didn't live under the same political dispensation. They didn't share the same cultural environment, nor did they experience the same fate. Despite all their many differences, though, they always saw themselves and were seen by others as one nation, the world's first and for a long the world's only global people. What then made them a nation? This was the question Rav Sa'ad Yagawan asked in the 10th century, to which he gave the famous answer, Our nation is only a nation in virtue of its laws, its Torot. There were the people defined by the Torah, a nation under the sovereignty of God. Having received uniquely their laws before they even entered the land, they remained bound by their so, those selfsame laws even when they lost the land. Of no other nation has this ever been true. Uniquely then, in Judaism, religion and nationhood coincide. There are nations with many religions. There are religions governing many nations. Only in the case of Judaism is there a one-to-one -one correlation between religion and nationhood. Without Judaism, there would be nothing except anti-Semitism to connect Jews across the world. And without the Jewish nation, Judaism would cease to be what it's always been, the faith of a people bound by a bond of collective responsibility to one another and to God. Bilam was right. The Jewish people really are unique. Nothing, therefore, could be more mistaken than to define Jewishness as a mere ethnicity. If ethnicity is a form of culture, then Jews are not one ethnicity, but many. In Israel, Jews are a walking lexicon of almost every ethnicity under the sun. If ethnicity is another word for race, then conversion to Judaism would be impossible. You can't convert to become Caucasian. You cannot change your race at will. What makes Jews a nation dwelling alone, not reckoned among the nations, is that their nationhood is not a matter of geography or politics or ethnicity. 
It's a matter of religious vocation as God's covenant partners, summoned to be a living example of a nation among the nations, made distinctive by its faith and way of life. Lose that and we lose the one thing that was and remains the source of our singular contribution to the heritage of humankind. When we forget this, sadly, God arranges for people like Bilom to remind us otherwise. We should not need such reminding. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>